Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. We had a really busy morning at my house because it's my son Judah, it's his seventh birthday today. And, uh, and so he was, he was pretty excited. We had uh, uh, like a party for him yesterday, but it was his seventh birthday. And you know, on birthdays, you always like to think back about what was happening around that time. Judah's birthday is always a really good one for me because uh, actually the week that he was born, I quit my job uh, in recruitment and decided that I was going to go full-time in ministry. So it's kind of like my anniversary all rolled into one. And it's amazing how quick that time goes. But I was thinking about when I first found out that Sarah was pregnant with our first child. And I remember the day so well because she actually gave me that piece of information while I was at work. She couldn't even wait for me to get home. So I remember being on the phone and she said, I just called to tell you that I'm pregnant. (laughs) And I didn't know what reaction I should give at that point because you don't want to tell everybody uh, in the office as soon as you hear. And so I'm trying to keep it together and get excited at the same time. And I was thinking to myself, wow, okay, so Sarah's pregnant and, and our family is going to increase. And I'm like, I don't know what I should expect from now. Like what is going to happen? What happens next? It's our first child. We don't really know. And uh, I started to think about that and I thought, well, man, I've heard about, I've heard about what happens here. Sarah's going to start eating really weird food. She's probably going to get more bossy. And, and I know, I started, I started thinking about this. I was thinking about it. I, uh, she's probably going to get more bossy. And I realized the only phrase that I needed to know for the next sort of nine months was, yes, dear. And, 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 and then whatever weird requests, no matter how strange the requests were, that I would just do everything I could to sort of keep her happy. But how would I know? I mean, we haven't done this before. I didn't sort of really know what I should uh, expect in that situation. So I figured, you know, the other thing that's going to happen is her her belly's going to get bigger and then there's going to be a baby and like, I don't know, maybe that's just it. And some of you are thinking, that's too simple. It's a little more complicated than that. Yeah, don't worry, I got there. I figured all of that out too. But sometimes it's kind of hard to know what to expect, right? So actually somebody wrote a book about this. It's called What to Expect When You're Expecting. I was like, has anybody read that book? I didn't actually read the book. I mean, I just asked Sarah the question. Do you have any men that read the book? Okay, one. There you go. That was honest and later we'll pray for you. And uh, <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't read the book, but they wrote a book about it. Do you know why? Because they realized that people, they just, when you're doing stuff for the first time, you really don't know what to expect. And so I thought I would just preach a message to you this morning Uh, what to expect when you're expecting. All right, so I'm going to read this. And this is really good about how this message came about because this is really just a a small group study that I did with my guys. And I thought, man, there's a message in this and I'm just going to preach it. So I did all my study with my small group. I thought that was awesome. I'm just going to share it with you uh, this morning. So I'm going to read to you out of the book of James. uh, If we can bring up that first slide, that would be good. So James chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you would help us to understand uh, more of your word, more of you. I pray this morning that we would be transformed by the power of your word, that God, that we wouldn't be left the same, but as we lean in and listen to what you have to share with us and, and what your word teaches, I pray, God, that we will come out of this with a better idea about how to handle life and situations and circumstances that we maybe are struggling through at the moment. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach that message to you, uh, what to expect when you're expecting. Man, I have realized that life really should come with instructions. Wouldn't that be awesome if life just came with instructions and it just told you how to do everything so you didn't even really need to think about it? It would just, you know, you would just read the book or read the manual and it would just tell you exactly what to do. Man, my son Judah, he, he loves Lego, all right? So every birthday, he asks for Lego. And last year, he, he got, we gave him this uh, Lego, this, this gift. I actually brought the instructions in with me. Now, this is a, uh, a Lego Ninjago Masters of Spinjitzu uh, Dragon. That's a dra I know it's a dragon. Don't judge me. I know it's a dragon. We, pray, we prayed over this. And then we submerged it into holy water. And when we felt it was truly clean, then we, then we took it out and he could build a dragon. So it's a dragon, but I, I, don't, don't worry about that part. We, we knew it was a dragon when we gave it to him. And so uh, it's got like a step-by-step -step instructions here for how to build this uh, Ninjago dragon. So I said to Judah that I would help him build it because that's always the way it goes. And so I was helping him build this, this, this dragon and I had to leave. So I, I went out and I came back and he had been working on it when I was not there. And I came back and I looked at what he had built and I looked at the picture and I realized we had a few extra pieces. And so I said, were you following the instructions? He said, dad, there was a few hard parts. So I skipped them. I said, son, I don't think this is going to work out. I said, I think that we're going to build this and we're going to get further down the track and there's going to be a problem and then we're going to have to figure out what it was. He said, nah, dad, it'll be fine. I thought, why not? So we kept building it and of course we got to the space later on where it was all out of alignment and we couldn't add the pieces in that we needed to add. So I had this conversation with him. I said, son, when they give you the instructions, you can just go off and build it how you think it should work, or you could follow the plan. And if you follow the plan and you don't skip the steps and you follow the instructions, then you're going to do much better at the end of what you're building. He said, okay. And I thought, man, isn't that so true about life? Isn't it so true that you can sometimes just go out and do things on your own and begin to build the way that you think things should work? You can try to figure it out on your own. But like, I just think, wouldn't it just be easier if we just asked somebody that already had the answers? 
Wouldn't it be just more simple if we just asked God sort of and prayed to him? And I, I know this is crazy. I'm going to tell you something. It's going to sound crazy to you. Some of you are thinking, I can't believe that you're my pastor and you just thought, thought this just this week. But literally like this week, these are the thoughts that I'm having. I think to myself, and this is so profound. I said, God, you know everything. Aren't you glad you came today? I said, God, you know everything about everything, and I know very little about very little. So what I should do, right, this is this week, all right? I didn't think this 10 years ago. I'm thinking this week. What I should do is I should just ask you about everything, and then I don't have to really hardly ever be wrong. I should ask you about everything, all of my plans, and as long as you tell me what to do, you know everything. I need to just put everything in front of you. Isn't this a good idea? Wouldn't it be such a smart idea to just take all the stuff and all the questions and all the issues and all the things that we've got and we just bring it to the guy that knows everything? We bring it to God, we bring it to Jesus, and we say, hey, can you just tell me about stuff that I don't understand or know? Because I'm telling you, I've been stuck so many times and would have benefited so well from this. I remember I took over the church uh, a couple years ago, and uh, three years ago, and as six months into taking over the church, I found out that we were going to lose our building that we did church in, and I had no idea what to do next. I had no way of solving that problem. We didn't have a backup plan. And I was thinking at that point, God, I really need to hear from you in this situation because this is a major issue for me. And if you don't tell me what to do next, I'm afraid I'm going to mess this up. Have you ever felt like that? where there was a situation that if he didn't tell you what to do, you were going to risk really messing things up. And James writes this letter that we read today. His situation was a little more serious than mine. In fact, when he begins to write the letter, we know who he's writing to. He writes to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. He writes to Jewish Christians that have been dispersed and there's a big problem. They're being persecuted for their faith and many of them are being put on trial and they don't know what to say and they don't know what to do. And so James writes a letter to them saying, listen, I'm going to tell you some things that are really going to help you and I'm going to give you a couple of options here today. You can wait for God to answer you and give you wisdom. You can wait for Him and believe in Him and you can trust Him. That's your first option. Or, which is what people so often do, you can just take your own advice like Judah did with the Lego. You can take your 
own advice and just do whatever you think is best. Don't wait for God. Don't get impatient. Don't say, God, you're taking too long. I need to move. There's a deadline. Don't do that. You just set out and do what you think is best in your own mind. And James is writing saying, hey, listen, you got to wait for the wisdom of God to come to you before you begin to just set out and start to make sort of decisions on your own. But I tell you, it's easy because when you get impatient, what do you want to do? You need a result. So you want something to happen. It happens in so many areas in our lives, whether it was business or relationships, it, it seems to happen everywhere. I discovered something about myself recently that other people probably knew before me, but I discovered this recently. I am patient by discipline, but not by nature. It might be a generational thing. I'm a Gen Y, so maybe I want the microwave version of everything. I, I don't know, you know, but, but, but I'm patient by discipline. I've learned that it is, it's only discipline that makes me be patient because if you ask me what do I want, whatever it is, I want it now, and I don't want to wait, and I've discovered something, that God is not cool with my timing, that sometimes he makes his own decisions. Can you believe it? He just on his own time frame, and I'm supposed to just work in with him. And so sometimes when I'm wanting to make a decision, I realize I have to be patient to wait and to listen and to hear what God says. You understand what I'm saying so far this morning? All right, now having said that, let me tell you something else. I have found a way to get an instant and guaranteed response from God. I have found a way to get an instant response from God. I've, this is awesome. Like some of you should be getting excited because you're waiting for stuff, but I'm about to tell you, and I found this in scripture. So I found a way, I found a loophole, everyone. I found it, I found it, and I'm gonna share with you my secret this morning about how to get something from God the moment you ask for it. With, I mean, I don't know if this is interesting to you. Is this interesting to anyone? Like, do you want to know? Because this is awesome stuff. I mean, I found it in Scripture, and I realized, and I thought you might be interested about how to get something from God straight away. You want to know how? You ready for this? You ask God for something He wants to give you. If I had a mic, I would drop it right now. This is genius, <laughs> profound. You just ask God for something that he already wants to give you. Doesn't that make sense? All right, let me take a step further. This is going to impress everyone in this room today. I'm telling you right now that if you want wisdom, Today, from God, He's going to give it to you. Isn't that cool? Do you know why? Well, of course you know why, because we just read it, right? Didn't He just say that He who lacks wisdom, let Him come and ask God, who will give to all generously and without reproach, didn't he just say that he would give that to anyone that asked? Like, I'm promising you that you can have this today, but before you can have this, um, you need to know that you need it. That's wisdom. To know that you should be asking for wisdom. That's one of my prayers every day. Every day, 
I say this prayer. God, give me wisdom beyond my age and experience. And you think I'm saying that because I'm 34 years old. Nope. When we have our eldership meetings, I pray the same thing. Some of the elders are a little bit older than me, right? But I pray the same thing for them. Do you know why? Because the Bible teaches me that the wisdom of God is manifold. It's got, that actually means many folds. And if you understand what it means in its context, it means the wisdom of God is forever unfolding. And so I understand that I can't possibly at my age understand all the wisdom of God. But then I'm going to go one step further and say, I don't think it matters how old you are. You couldn't possibly understand all the wisdom of God which is why I ask for that every single day. And you know what? When This is how you get it. You, you, you just ask for it. And you know what ask means? I could probably take out the word ask and I could just put in the word pray because when you're asking God, is that not what you're doing? You're just praying? You know what that's what prayer is? You're just having a conversation with God. So you're just asking Him for things and He's telling you things and you can ask God for it. Well, here's what James chapter 4 says. James chapter 4, he says, do you know what? You do not have because you do not ask. And I think that that's a problem that's not limited to the people that James was writing to. He's writing to Jewish Christians. I think that's a Christian problem. The Christian problem is so often because people don't... What is the thing that people struggle with most in their Christian walks? Come on, it's all the basics. Read the Bible and pray to Jesus. Now, it's not a complicated thing. I mean, you all understand how to do it, but when you ask people how their prayer life is going or how their Bible reading is going, it's oftentimes a struggle. And so it's kind of funny to me that in thousands of years, this issue hasn't changed. James writes and he says, guys, do you know why you don't have the things that you want? All right, because you're not asking for it. Because you're not asking Jesus for it. Or you're not going to God about it. That's why you don't have what you want. But when people do, He provides them with certain things, especially the things that He promises. Now, Jesus, I bet He prayed for wisdom because actually there's a story about Jesus when He goes to His hometown. It's just where He grew up. It was in Nazareth. And while He was in Nazareth, He thought He'd do a little bit of teaching at the temples, like church, right? He thought He'd do some teaching at their church. And so he, he's doing the teaching and the people are thinking, we've seen this guy before. This is, this is Jesus, man. He grew up here. And they're looking at him and they're thinking, and this is what they said, and you can read about this. They said, where does he get these things? Now, the people that he's teaching, they understand the Torah. They understand, let me say, they understand the Old Testament. That's what he's teaching. They understand the Old Testament, Right? They already know what's in there. So the things that Jesus must have been speaking about must have been beyond that because actually just knowing this thing is sometimes what I'm going to go ahead and call information. But there's a difference between having, or, or this is knowledge. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge might mean that you can record and, and remember everything that's in the book. Wisdom is actually how to apply it. And I think the thing that really impressed people about Jesus is that he found a way to apply the scriptures in a way that they had never seen before and it was blowing their minds and they said, where did he get these things? Now, you can ask God for these things. In fact, you can ask God for a lot. Jesus said one time, my father knows how to give good gifts. 
If you ask him for a fish, would he give you a scorpion? No. He says, you know what? If you ask God for the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. So you just need to ask for it. So, and by the way, to, to anyone that ever wants to do anything in Christianity, possibly at any point in your future, you will be requiring the Holy Spirit. Just let you know that. So, so you should ask for him if, if you don't have him, right? So you can ask for that. You can ask for wisdom. We already looked at that. Do you know what you can ask for? You can ask for salvation. Is it, don't we believe that when somebody confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, when they say that prayer, we believe that they've received salvation. It's something that God offers. It's something that he wants to give. The moment that anyone asks for it, don't we believe that they have instantly received it? And actually, the way to get salvation, for those of you that might be new to church or you have no idea what I'm talking about, salvation, the way that you get it, it's through the doorway of relationship with Jesus. And it really works this simple. Whichever way you're headed in life, and you might be like Judah, just trying to put the pieces together on your own without the instruction manual. Without the instruction manual. And you're just trying to piece life together. He says, quit what you're doing. You're going to mess up anyway. So quit what you're doing right now, and I want you to turn around, and I want you to walk through the door of relationship to Jesus. And the moment you do that, and you give your heart and your life to him, you become saved. Actually, turning around like that, they use this word, and you might have heard it before, but turning around like that to face Jesus and say, I'm not going to keep building on my own this thing called life. I'm actually going to head after Jesus. We call that repentance. That's all that means. It just means that you're going to stop the direction that you're going. You're going to turn around and you're going to head back the other way. And the way to get salvation is through a relationship with Jesus. Because you know what? Plenty of people got information about how to get saved, but they don't know how to do it because they haven't actually applied it. You see, this is why I love the book of James, because he is just so profoundly practical. You can ask God for the Holy Spirit. You can ask him for wisdom. You can ask him for salvation. There's a little asterisk that I would like to bring to your attention this morning. A little asterisk. When you ask, you've got to ask in faith. So what is faith? Well, faith is the evidence of things that we haven't actually seen. It's being assured in our hearts of what we hope for. That's what faith is. And here's the asterisk if you're ready for it. You've got to ask in faith. You ready? Asterisk, no doubting. Ask in faith and don't doubt. In fact, I'm going to say something that is going to sound maybe crazy to you, but all of God's promises are accessed this way. All of them. They're all by faith. I'm saved by grace through what? Faith in Christ. So actually, the degree to which I believe God has a lot to do with the outcome. Do you want me to tell you what really freaks me out this morning? Is that doubt cancels promises. Doubt cancels Promises. It's not that they don't first exist. It's not that God doesn't want to give them to you. But when you ask for anything, you've got to believe that you receive it. If you can't even believe that God's giving it to you or has given it to you, you actually, you, you can't really receive it. Now you're all freaking out thinking, don't doubt, 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 don't doubt. Because we all got promises, things that we believe that God has told us. And oh my gosh, do you imagine now, all that needs to happen is if you doubt, what does that mean? That you're 
promise, the thing that God said he was going to give to you, that it's actually canceled? Do you, do you know what that means? It means that your mind, to a certain extent, listen into this, your mind controls the outcome here. Because if you don't believe that these things are true or that they're going to happen, if you don't believe, then you don't get to receive. So you've got to believe it in your mind. Now, let me ask you a question, and nobody answer this question because we don't all want to hear what your response is. But, but let me ask you this question. How good are you at controlling the thoughts that come into your mind? There you go. Somebody answered. How good are you at controlling the thoughts that come into your mind? How about this? Have you, have you ever been in the shower and had a fake argument with somebody? You know why I said that? Because I've done it. And then someone will come and knock on the door. What are you doing? I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I was arguing with no one. It's like, that was a stupid thing to do. That, you, know, and I, I, you know, you're laughing because you've done it, right? Have you ever uh, been said, I'm going to pray, and then Pinterest happened or Facebook happened or Instagram or something like that, and you're looking through, and suddenly you're like, Oh my gosh, when did this happen? You can't even pinpoint when it happened. All you know is that you set yourself up to pray or to read the, 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 the Bible, and then suddenly you're just flicking through, and it's like, where did all that time go? You know, if you were able to absolutely, completely control your mind, that would never happen to you. But have you ever become distracted? Great. Okay, so we're all in the same boat. If you've ever become distracted, we are all in the same boat because that means you can't completely control everything that comes into your mind. And this is what I started to think. I started to think, wow, if all it takes is for a doubt to cancel a promise because as soon as you believe that you're not going to get it, you don't get it. That's what James said. Then I started to think, hmm, what if... Every thought that was in my head didn't actually come from me. Whoa, wait a minute. What if some of the thoughts that came into your mind were planted there by someone else? And what if the thoughts that were planted into your mind were thoughts of doubt? I started to think about this because this is exactly what the devil loves to do to Christians, get them to doubt in the goodness of God, get them to doubt the promises of God, because when you believe it, it begins to actually take effect in your life. And I started to think, man, if that's true, if that's true, if it's simply the presence of doubt in your mind that would cancel the promises of God, then to me, that made the devil really powerful because he, in effect, is able to stop God from moving through people's lives by just putting doubt into their minds and, in effect, canceling promises. Are you with me so far this morning? And I thought, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. There's no way that that's true. And you know what? It's not true. I've got good news for you. That is not true. Do you know why? Because just because a thought is there doesn't seem to it doesn't make a difference what you do with the thought does make a difference because every time God promises you something 
doubts are going to come into your mind about whether you can access them or have them. But just because that thought is present doesn't mean that the promise gets cancelled. Just because a doubt is there doesn't mean that, 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 that you know, you're not going to receive anything from God. That's crazy. In fact, listen to what the Bible says about this. If we can go to that next slide. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. That means just our physical body. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. By the way, that's a pattern of thinking in your mind. We have divine power to destroy patterns of thinking. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, because that's all it is, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take, and I want you to tune into this, every thought captive to obey Christ. Just because a doubt enters your mind doesn't mean that you need to take ownership of it. Just because a doubt, don't you understand that you're in a spiritual battle and the enemy of your soul will put doubt in your mind to rob you of the things of God, but you don't have to just agree with every thought that comes into your mind. You know what you need? You need like little mini handcuffs, right? And you're um, walking through your day and some thought just walks through your mind and you're like, how'd you get in here? What, what are you doing here? Don't, you know what? Don't, don't talk to me. Come, come over here. And you just arrest that thought and you take it. And you know what I would do? I would put that thought in solitary confinement where it will never speak again. I'll shut the door, throw away the key. Because why would I allow the words of the enemy to dictate the future that I have because I just, what, lean in and listen to some thought that wandered through my mind? No, that doesn't make sense to me, of course. That, that can't make sense at all. I wonder how many thoughts you have in your world right now that you need to start arresting stuff that's in your, that wanders through your mind that begins to talk to you and begin to depress you and begin to make you argue and all these things that are coming through. You need to start arresting some thoughts because not everything that's in your mind necessarily comes from you and it doesn't necessarily come from God. So learn to discern the difference. Do you know that actually for doubt to be doubt, it needs to meet a criteria? Yeah, it needs to meet a criteria for it actually to be this kind of doubt. And let me give you a couple examples of this. There's a story in the Bible about a man named Abraham. And Abraham had a promise that was given to him by God that he would be the father of many nations. Now, there's only one problem. He has no children and he's getting old. So he's waiting on Jesus. He's waiting on God. He's saying, you know, where are you? And, you know, this is the promise, all right? So let me read this scripture to you. It says he, speaking about Abraham, didn't or did not weaken in his faith when he, what's that next word? When he considered his own body, which was good as dead. I know how else to explain that other than his equipment was limp. It says since he was about, I did the study. That's Bible. I'm not joking. Since he was about 100 years old, or when he, what's that next word? Considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Can I tell you something that considering the facts is not doubt? 
Considering reality is not doubt, that just is informing you of the gap required for God to cross. That's not doubt. That just means that you know how big the gap really is. I always ask God for the facts I'm like, or, or people for the facts before I pray. It's not because of anything else. And I just want to know exactly what I'm praying for. I want to know exactly what I'm asking God to cross for me today. I just want to be aware of it. Do you know what I think is really crazy about the passage that we read? He's doing, I mean, Abraham's doing a lot of considering of the facts, of the equipment and of, you know, the barrenness of Sarah. He's thinking through it. When you consider something, that's not a passing thought. That's like, I have stopped. I have paused. I'm thinking about it. I'm considering it. I'm really thinking through this. He's really thought through it. And then it says, and this is crazy, but he actually grew strong, which is a process over time. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, I don't know what happens to your faith as you wait, but often it doesn't grow stronger. It grows weaker and we become impatient. And then we become like the people that James wrote to and we say, I can't wait anymore. I need to move forwards. James would write to all of us and say, just stop where you are. You're better off just waiting for the wisdom of God. Wait for Him. Wait for what He's doing. And I'll tell you why you need to wait for God. He's doing stuff while you're waiting. When we sold our, when we were trying to sell our house, man, six months, right? Every two weeks, I got to know the polished tiles and grout in our home very well. Because and I will never buy polished tiles again because they mark so easy. So I'm on my hands and knees with a towel, working backwards, wax on, wax off, working backwards to the door. We get to the door, all the family's in the car. We've got small children. This is not easy, people. All right, so we walk to the door. Everything's clean. Yep, close the door. We walk away. Now we can't come back to our house for hours. And when we get back, there's people sitting in the driveway. I mean, this is a real pain a real pain. And you know what? When it came to selling our house, this is what Sarah and I said. We said, it's not that God is not helping us. No, we believe that He is. And this was our confession from the start. It is that the house He has for us is not yet ready. But since I don't know when that is, I'm just going to keep traveling down the path that we were set on. And I'm not changing anything because I'm waiting. I believe that at the right time, as soon as the house that we need becomes available to us we will sell our house in an instant we'll buy the house that we need we'll move straight in that is exactly what happened and the house that we bought we got it for way below what it was worth it was perfect for us how did we get that house well we just waited we didn't go off and start following our own instructions and start to build things together on our own out there we said no i'm going to stay the course and do exactly what god has told us to let me give you another story this is a really good one next scripture i'll tell you a story about shadrach meshach and abednego now these three guys they are currently slaves okay and they have been asked to worship false gods and to worship a golden idol and this is the king nebuchadnezzar and this is what it says shadrach meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us from the, from the burning, fiery furnace. And listen in. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, what? What are you talking about? You just said he will 
deliver us. But if not, are they confused? But if not, be known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Their faith was in the fact that God's character was good enough that He would make the right decision. And they refused to take matters into their own hands by saving their own life. They obviously believed that God was able, but they weren't certain that He would. And they continued to trust in God no matter what could happen. Were they aware of the gap? Oh, you better believe it. That's why it just said burning fiery furnace. In fact, the guy that tried to stoke up the fire was completely consumed in stoking it up. So it was a serious blaze. They were very aware of the gap, but they said, you know what? We're still not changing course. We're not gonna go out on our own. We're not gonna build the thing that we think. We're not gonna get impatient. We're gonna stay on track with you, God. We believe in your character. You see, the criteria for doubt, you ready for this? No, you're not. You ready for this? All right, the criteria for doubt is that you don't trust that God is good. And that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. Come on, don't trust, don't trust, don't trust God. He just knows that if you eat the fruit that you'll become like Him. Oh, so He's tricking us. Yeah, that's right. So we should eat the fruit then. Yeah, that's right. What did they do? They ate the fruit. Why? Because they no longer trusted that God was honest. Do you understand that every lie that comes to you is about trying to dupe you into thinking that God's character isn't good? Because if you believe that one lie, if you believe that one lie, then everything else is lost. The promises of God, why would you get anything from God? You don't even believe that He's good. You don't believe that He's actually going to give you anything. Charles Spurgeon said that doubt is a foot poised to go forward or backwards in faith. In other words, you got a choice. You can let it take you backwards or you can go forwards. It's a choice. See, you need to know that doubt isn't considering the facts, it's letting the facts control you. Yeah? It's looking at the gap and then making decisions based on what you see. But that ain't faith. We're people that walk by faith and not by, all right, so how many of you are looking at big gaps and going, boy, what do I need to do to save this situation right now? Honestly, you should probably just wait on God or rely on Him or ask. If you're not doing a lot of asking right now, this is the best thing that you could probably do. The reason why this is so important is because I've discovered that doubt is a self-fulfilling prophecy. In other words, it has no effect on you while you believe that it's not true. But the moment that you believe it is true, it becomes in effect. And as soon as it comes into effect, suddenly everything that you had, you lose, but only because you believed the doubt. I'm saying to you that you don't have to believe it. And just because the thought is there doesn't mean that you have to do anything about it. I would just arrest that. If you don't think you'll receive anything, you won't. But this is how James said it. He said, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from God. Anything. Don't, must suppose that he won't receive anything from God. And he's writing, just to bring us back, to Jewish Christians that are being persecuted for their faith. People with families and they're being persecuted for their faith and they're waiting and they're on trial. Have you ever been waiting and wondering if God is looking in on the gap that you're facing? That's, what, that's exactly what's happening to them. And 
James, he gives them two options. He says, look, you can either believe in God's goodness or you can believe in yourself and try to take matters into your own hands. That is exactly the same choice that we have today. You can believe in God's goodness and you can rely on Him and you can stay the course or you can take matters into your own hand, try to control the outcome. I'm telling you, you won't win. It's not the best choice for your life. So what should you expect when you're expecting God to answer you? Number one, you should expect that you're gonna have a doubt. So don't freak out when it happens. You should expect that you're gonna consider the gap. You should expect that you're gonna be thinking about the facts, but thinking about the facts is not the thing that talks you out of the promise. Letting the facts take away your faith, that is what steals the promise from you. Number one, you should expect that you will consider the facts. Number two, you should expect, you should expect that you will have thoughts of doubt that will be planted in your mind by the enemy of your soul who seeks to rob you of everything God wants to actually give you. You should expect that. You should expect that when God speaks an encouraging word into you, that you should have a secondary thought that will try to discourage you. You should expect that your mind is a battlefield. You should expect that you're at war. You should expect that things are gonna come into your mind. So when they come, fine, but don't necessarily agree or side with them. Arrest the things that need to be arrested and put it in solitary confinement where it doesn't speak to you again and then get on with your life. What should you expect when you're expecting God to answer you? When you're in the waiting period and you're waiting for God to do something, but you haven't seen anything yet, you know what you should expect? That God is good, that He is faithful, that His mercy endures forever. You should expect that He will never let you down. You should expect that every hair on your head is numbered. You should expect that He loved you enough to send His one and only Son, to die upon a cross, set you free from the power of sin that would otherwise reign over you. You should expect that in every circumstance, whether you understand it or not, that God is always, always, always good. Always good. And last thing, number four, you should expect that you will have a choice to make about whether you're going to have a foot paused poised to go backwards or forwards. You've got a choice. You've got choices. And we'll get out of this room today. There's choices everywhere. You're going to be presented with a choice tomorrow. You're going to be presented with a choice next week. You're going to have choices about whether you should stay the course and stick with God and believe in His goodness or go out on your own and make your own decisions and see how things wind up for you. Let me make you a promise today. God will give you everything He's ever promised you everything He's ever promised you. I told you how to get a result. You just ask Him for the stuff that He wants to give you. When He promises you something, He wants to give it to you. God will give you everything He's ever promised you. And finally, whatever the gap is, whatever you're looking at, He can cross it. He can close it. He's the God of abundance. He can do all things. And it doesn't matter today if it's a relationship, it doesn't matter if it's a financial issue. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever gap you're looking at today, I promise you that God can close it. Is that good? Isn't He an awesome God? Come on, let's stand to our feet. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.